Welcome to the Dead Pixel Podcast. This is the podcast home for all the people that work in the archival and production world. The artists and technicians that keep production going long after the shoot is finished. We're engineers, colorists, restorers, administrators, cinematographers, editors, animators, designers, and filmmakers. We work in both sound and visual, in analog and digital. The one thing that we share in common is that we spend some, if not all, of our time working in dark rooms, working alone. Finally, we get to share our stories here on the Dead Pixel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Dead Pixel. I'm Lee Klein and I'm with my friend and colleague, Ryan Hullings. Hi. And today we're talking to Manuel Gutz, who is a freelance film restorer, scanning technician, and all-around good guy from uh, Ari Media, and uh, welcome. Hi, yeah, thanks for having Hi, me. Hi, Manuel. So uh, we know each other because uh, we've met in India at some workshops, which all three of us have been in at separate times. So we all have done that uh, craziness. That circuit? Yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> the India circuit, right, as we call it. Um, that's such a great place for me to have met people because uh, Surrender just brought in such good people that we all got to learn from each other. I thought it was, for me, a great experience. I don't know how for you, was it something interesting? Yeah, uh, certainly uh, getting to know new experiences. Also, I thought pe having people come from all over the world was kind of nice because you uh, get to know different um, perspectives on certain issues, how things were doing differently. Uh, in other places in the world because uh, you I don't know how, how it is for you guys but I certainly feel like stuck in this at least central European bubble sort of in film restoration because there is certainly a best practice and yeah it was nice having that sort of broken up a bit at least yeah we feel the same way when we're uh, especially when we go to Los Angeles where it's you know you walk down the street and everybody's in post-production or production and then in New York we're in our little bubble and you're in your little bubble right yeah India is definitely in their little bubble. Totally, um, yeah. Interesting uh, bubble. Yeah, interesting. I mean, other than eating great food, it was just so good to uh, talk to all those students who were setting up their own archives and how excited they were about all this stuff that we have just been using for years. And um, Yeah, right. And it was, it was interesting seeing something really start from scratch because you hardly have those kind of projects, I guess, when you really have to start. I mean, they have an archive and a collection uh, to digitize, but then they're really starting from scratch and setting up their infrastructure. And um, that was very refreshing. And I'm very curious to see what comes out of this in a few years and how they progress. And um, yeah, great initiative for sure. Yeah, it is. The, uh, the now that he's done so many of them, he should do a, uh, a series of uh, every three years later so we can see where, follow these guys around and see where they, where they end up and how their archives uh, change. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope we see their films in, I don't know, Bologna or so at, at the festivals in a few years uh, to see yeah. the results of their endeavors. Yeah. It would be fantastic. Yeah. So you, so for the last few years, since I've known you, you've been mostly in Munich at, at ARI. And now you're, now you're not in Munich. Is that pandemic related or? Uh, yeah, I'm actually uh, from Vienna, born and raised. And it has always been... Uh, my home base, even when I was working in Munich, because it's um, close-ish. It's like four hours by train. Um, so I was commuting back and forth. Uh, and now I'm 
I have been in Munich actually the last two weeks. So I do go there every once in a while, but not on a regular basis because I was employed there for the last two years or so. And then I sort of continued working with them on a freelance basis from then onwards. Um, yeah, but I, I do a lot with Ari and Ari Media and Ari Technik as well. Uh, so the, the um, sub part of the company that builds the scanners because I was doing instructions for them, trainings um, and those kind of things. Uh, this is actually the capacity that I was in uh, India in that capacity. Uh, so not for media, not the service part. But, uh, oh, right. Right. Could you could you actually pull, take apart a scanner and put it back together again? Are you are you are you in depth in depth depth that much with the with the scanners or no? No, no. Um, I'm not a service guy, so those yeah. are the, the 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 service people the who are really doing exactly that. Um, I know my few things around um, certain issues or problems that might arise, even with the hardware part of the machine. Um, but there is very quick limits when it comes to, you know, because especially the classics, the RSCAN classics, they run on, on very old software. So that's one of the major issues you have to deal with. You have to, and there's still a lot of them in use? Yeah. I mean, mm. now and they're more and more upgraded, but there have been, what, like 150 or so worldwide. So, mm. and I think there have been uh, maybe 20, 30 upgrades so far. So they are definitely out there and some stem back to like the early 2000s or so. Um, so it is very difficult communicating with, with that software. Um, and this is where things get really tricky because hardware is motors, uh, camera sensors, those actually haven't changed that much, but yeah, the software yeah, What has, drives uh, the machine itself that hasn't really changed, which is basically film tech, like projector technology or totally. Yeah, yeah. totally. Right. I don't know if this is too simplistic for our, uh, esteemed audience, but, uh, I assume there are people out there that don't understand or know much about what a scanner is you know like manuel can you just give us like a the elevator pitch on what a scanner does yeah let's know? pretend i'm um um just the this person you met in your in your hometown and i was like what's a scanner sure okay <laughs> i actually do get to uh ask be asked that question quite a few times so <laughs> i have had this elevator pitch because it's very you know i mean what we're doing is not exactly uh, very common, I would say. It, it yeah, but we, is, it but is. when we talk to each other, we think we all know what every we all know True. what it is. True. So, yeah. So yeah, film scanner. Um, what it does is it digitizes analog uh, film samples. So there is several ways of doing this. There are several different mechanisms. Um, but basically, you have uh, a wind-up reel and a take-up reel, just like in a movie projector or actually in a camera. Uh, and in between, there is uh, some sort of digital sensor, camera, optical device. So you have the film running past uh, or in front of uh, the sensor, uh, usually in front of a lens um, that captures either the film in continuous movement or the individual film frames, frame by frame, like a camera does. Um, that's the basic distinction between the two mechanisms that exist uh, within film scanners. Um, and there is, I would say, an almost ideological debate of what is better or what is more appropriate. Yes, yeah, what I was um, about to ask, which one's better? <laughs> that is, that's no simple, there is no simple answer to that, obviously. Um, the Ariascan has been designed according to a step transport mechanism. That means it moves the frame one frame at a time 
then it's uh, uh, it's it sits still uh, in front of the camera and the picture is being recorded. Then the next image is being pulled into the, what is called the film gate, the mechanism that keeps the film in place in front of the camera, and this, the next image is being taken and so on and so forth. Um, that takes m usually more time than what is called a line uh, sensor system, where you have not an area se sensor like you need for uh, capturing a film frame, but really a line and the film is in constant motion running across this line and is being recorded constantly. And then the individual images are being um, sort of uh, calculated based on the perforation, on the size of the image. So you do get individual files out of those systems as well, but they have to be um, sort of cropped out of this digital stream that's being produced. But those systems tend to be faster. They tend to be more appropriate for large digitization projects, uh, usually for less deteriorated damaged films, so film that can take faster speeds, um, more tension as well. Um, so it really depends on what kind of project you're dealing with. So if I was an archive that had millions and millions of feet of film, I might want to go for something that could do more quantity at a faster rate, as opposed to something more archival. If your material can handle the stress, right? If you have, let's say you are an archive in India that is heavily deteriorated, where there has been flood damage, uh, damage through temperatures, um, you would really have to make the calculation what it takes to prepare these materials for scanning in a, let's say, faster system as compared to what it takes to having them run in a, in a system that, that is more subtle, more gentle to the material. Um, so that's always the consideration you have to make. Also, usually with um, a line scanner system, the data that is produced is, is being produced much faster and thus much bigger uh, initially than what comes out of uh, an area system. So you have to have the certain storage capacity and the infrastructure, the digital infrastructure attached to those systems. So um, it's not just pure the scanning speed that will make your uh, decision here. There is more that, that comes to play. And I'm gathering that for a line system, you have to reconstitute the image somehow, I imagine, digitally from this, you know, kind of, there's got to be whatever, an algorithm that pulls it together and makes sense of what it's captured. Like, is that does that introduce any sort of loss in quality or change to the you know picture versus versus you know a step scanner? So I would say generally, if you have um, let's say a fresh negative uh, run through your machine that has no splices, uh, no sprocket damage, um, no perforation damage, then there are machines that will look equally well in quality. Uh, that are line scanners uh, as compared to area systems. Um, the problem very often is induced by thick old splices uh, because back in the days uh, they spliced the nitrate just on top of each other or very often nitrate materials were spliced just on top of each other so they created a bump and this bump can induce certain effects in line detection scanners where the algorithm to calculate the size of an image doesn't properly work anymore. Um, I, th I think in English it might be called like the elevator effect or so. I'm not sure if that's the correct term, uh, but you get images that are that look kind of warped uh, that you potentially yeah. then have to de-warp and stuff like this. Um, so 
that's what I always like about scanning, right? Is that it's always this interplay of the really just the material that you're facing and the machine. And ideally, every material has its own implication in terms of how you set up the machine or even what machine you use. And that are, those are interesting questions to, to answer uh, mm. beginning a digitization uh, project. Yeah, people, uh, just because I've scanned so much film in different places all around the world, uh, people often ask me what my favorite scanner is, which is, you know, only would people in, a, in this industry ask me, ask a question like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. and my, my response is that I, I mean, I kind of secretly do have a favorite scanner, but at the same time, I always tell them it's the right, it's the right scanner for your film, depending on what it is. And what I've, in what I've witnessed over the years is the Ari scanner has much more flexibility with all the different, uh, options that you've offered over the years, like pinless or pin registered, wet gate, non-wet gate, uh, different speeds of scanning, double flashing, triple flashing, all those things that there's a lot of options. But because I've never bought a scanner, I one thing I'm pretty sure of is Ari is pretty highly priced and compared to some of the other scanners, which maybe give you that flexibility, especially if you want multiple options. Would you agree with that? Totally agree. Yeah. Um, and there is, I would say there is, um, archives um, that have certain um, dependencies uh, from their materials, from their uh, resources as well. Let's not forget uh, the, the the financial and infrastructural resources many many and, uh, institutions are facing challenges with uh, that simply make it unrealistic that an ARIA scan is the best choice for them. Yeah. There is, yeah, there is. Um, That's a fact, right? You have to. It yeah. all comes down to budget sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think Ari doesn't uh, disagree with me on that point. They are also saying, sure, uh, we also obviously believe that our system is the best and the most flexible, but there are cases where it's simply not appropriate buying uh, a machine that has that price tag. Yeah, an archive in Sri Lanka cannot afford that. Agree. Yeah. What, what's the price tag? Um, it depends on the as as Lee was saying. There are so many different modules that you can right, attach sure, to the yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I, I want them all. Gonna, <laughs> I want them all. You can't afford. Gate. You can't afford them all. I want wet gate. Yep, I want. Well, wet gate's expensive, isn't it? <laughs> I think you will be you will be uh, facing a price tag that is. I'm not. I'm and I'm not a salesperson, so I don't know the the exact most uh, recent numbers. But I'm saying roughly three hundred thousand dollars euros. Uh, we're sort of in that range. Gotcha. And that's not that's not the end of the line, right? There is there is more expensive systems available too. So, but it is it is pretty pricey. Yeah. Mm. Do you guys do like research and development uh, with other scanners to to sort of see what they they're doing or what the competition's up to? Yeah, I mean it's a small field, so you always um, uh, in 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 conversation with with other manufacturers, and there is a certain underlying degree of uh, respect as well, because basically you're you're doing a very similar thing, right? And obviously you're competitors in a way. Um, but it's always nice to talk with someone who who uh, faces similar challenges, maybe, or who has to overcome similar problems. Uh, so yeah, it's um, there's always very uh, a high degree of of exchange going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I ask about sound scanning quickly? Um, I, I personally, you know, um, do a lot, scan a lot of stuff as well. But uh, I generally send it to places with like Sondor systems and COSP systems. Does Ari have some sort of like how does Ari handle a negative? A sound um, negative. A sound yeah. negative. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you that you also mentioned at the beginning that the picture guys always keep out the sound and they <laughs> yeah, yeah. forget about the sound quality and all. Well, we Whereas have a joke really... where, where Ryan will say to me, what about the sound? And I always go, there's a long pause. I go, as, as long as I can think, <laughs> yeah. I go, oh, the oh. sound. And then I you go. say, just check the LTOs. See if, the t- see, if there's a, see if they put sound. Yeah, just check them out. Maybe there's sound on there. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's just gotten bad. I just now I, I milk it as far as I can take it. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, the the thing with sound. So the Aria scan, the classic, let's say, the older model was not uh, well, wasn't designed to uh, capture sound in any way. Um, now with the XT upgrade, there is also a software package that can be implemented that captures, let's say, the sound waves optically. So you, uh, if you have an optical soundtrack on your film, um, mm-hmm. it will be able to to be scanned and then to be recorded. Then then these images are being recorded back to audio. They are being transformed into an audio file. This is gotcha. the way the Ariscan can uh, digitize soundtracks. And is that the, for a combined uh, picture with track negative or picture you, with negative? P- sorry, picture with track versus just a track negative or both? both. Okay. You, you could use both. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that's actually one of the advantages. If you have uh, a combined print, uh, you are able to capture both image and sound in just sound one um, digitization, right? So you don't have yeah. to send any, any elements through other, an, a different machine. You can capture both in one go and you can then extract the audio track from the the image that is being recorded does it work for both variable area and variable yes it yes, the software cool. can handle both yeah cool. it cannot handle magnetic obviously so magnetic yeah, sure. can't can be digitized in the- so if i had like one of those weird 16 millimeter prints with a magnetic sound it wouldn't be able to pick that up no mm. no it it uh, there is no magnetic device on the ari scan mm. uh, that can can grab that audio so i think a, the, the laser graphics does have that capability i believe so yes, there is. There is other machines that have modules for which is like a second sound head. Then uh, mm-hmm. in most cases, where the uh, digitization of the sound takes place at a different part of the machine. So you have usually, I think it's before uh, the image is being recorded. So you have the the, the film running over a sound head uh, that is taking the sound, and then you have the image being recorded. And okay. it can be stitched together. That's the first time I've ever heard of sound coming before image. Mm. <laughs> it's just the, the nice. machine architecture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when you're when you're uh, when you're when you've got a job, a new job, and uh, I send over my 1934, mm, it's probably a dupe because in 1934 it's probably a dupe more than an original. But let's say I bring it to you and it's nitrate and it's decomposing a bit. It's got some mold. It definitely needs some evaluation. So what's the procedure? Do you first look at the entire role and then offer a, a, a solution of how you're going to scan it? Is that usually the way it works? Um, it's, um, that's an extremely interesting question because that is um, it's being debated a lot how this should be handled best. Uh, usually I would say it's a, um, an, an intermix of both the opinions or the knowledge of the archivist uh, or the archive in general who gives us the film to, to digitize uh, and our in-house know-how. Um, very often the curators, archivists who have looked at their material, material already know a certain degree of, okay, well, this material is probably going to need this and this treatment. Um, and then it's very often just a, do you agree? Do you disagree? Would you suggest uh, any additional treatments or what's your stance on, on my view? 
But very often, if it's smaller, regional, uh, like art film archives, um, who don't really know their holdings that well, or um, for whatever reasons, uh, then they would just uh, bring literally their cans without even having opened them to Ari uh, and say, okay, uh, this is my film. Uh, please give me back uh, an LGO, LGO or a hard drive. They don't know, want to know how it gets from point A to point B. They just Basically, want that LGO, yeah. right? And I think that's a fair, fair, fair uh, approach as well, because um, then this leaves us with the trust of knowing our 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 um, crafts, right? This this leaves us with okay, well, you, they will know what they're what they're doing, and I trust them with delivering us the best results. And yeah, my 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 uh, the work that I've done with with Ari in Munich, especially, has been, I mean really top notch. I feel like, you know, there's that side that we have a saying, you get what you pay for. And with Ari, it's more expensive. I know it's going to be more, but I also know that my, I'm not going to reject my scans because you're going to alert me along the way if there's any problem. And there's going to be a final image that you've labored over that, you know, is right. And when I get it, and that's not always the case with a lot of scanning places where they are just trying to keep it going and get it out. But Maybe it's a combination of the machine, but I think it's also a combination of the knowledge of the people there. And building yeah, it and, and, and using it gives you a definite advantage. Yeah, and it has been in the, uh, I would say, in the veins of the company as well. They know that in certain extents, uh, they will not be able to compete with, uh, in terms of price, um, with other places in other parts of the world. So they have to focus on, on quality and quality has always played the major role, be that in, in uh, camera um, construction, um, be that in, in post-production or in restoration. Um, I guess there is no really other alternative. They have to uh, deliver uh, a good product because as you say, their, their prices will be higher. They have yeah. to be higher. Yeah. What are, uh, as a lowly sound guy, what are some of the parameters by which you evaluate the quality of a scan? You know, what, what are the pitfalls? What, what goes wrong? And what do you look for? Like, why lead? Would do you say you wouldn't reject a scan, or why would you reject a scan? Well, sometimes scans are slightly out of focus, or uh, sometimes the uh, light sent into the scanner to expose the uh, the image is not enough. Sometimes it's too much, so that you lose some detail. Uh, a good scan has all those things checked for. Like one of the places that we use a lot is MPI in, in, at Warner Brothers. And um, man, these guys, they just know their stuff. They, they had a negative for Barry Lyndon, a Kubrick film that uh, really was in, it was a tough piece of film to scan. It was very, it had a lot of issues. And I think they told me they scanned it at the slowest speed possible. And not everybody would go that way because they don't, they wouldn't spend the amount of time on it. But I think areas in that would do it a similar way. I've been in that basement. There's like three area scanners down there, aren't there? Yeah, they, they, well, I don't know if they have an area. I just think they have two directors, oh. a Northlight, a couple of Scanities. It's a who's who oh, of scanning, really. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't think they ever got an area. I don't know why. Um, I know Bologna's big on the on the area. They've he told me that they were looking at an uh, maybe getting a director at one point, but in Paris, but they ended up buying an area. So, you know, I think people, you know, when you know how something works and you've gotten really good with it, you stick with it. I think it's genuinely 
the way. And usually you get a appropriate result out of it as well, because as you say, it's um, uh, probably only just half is really the machine itself, and the other half is how to use it and how what kind of workflows you're implementing with that machine, how you crunch the images, um, all these things that you need to know. And I think most leading scanners uh, worldwide, they offer possibilities for software implementation on the user side uh, interfaces. So it really is up to the users to make the best out of it. But coming back to your question, I would say, uh, what I found interesting is that these, uh, let's say quality um, factors are, they, they differ from client to client. Uh, but I think they can be subsumed in looking for the most authentic representation, you know, because they, I would say archivists very often think in more abstract terms, uh, whereas we are really the technicians and we maybe measure our incoming film and sort of measure our uh, digital out outcome. Um, but the way archivists look at images are also from a cultural, uh, historical perspective. So they evaluate uh, this digital um, outcome um, in very different ways than we do. And that is a challenge, right? Understanding that yeah. way of thinking as well. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and translating them back into what is basically just pure settings uh, in a software interface. Mm. Right. Let's talk about uh, one of the great m magical things to me about scanning, uh, Wetgate. Uh, we've probably explained, have some have you explained a little bit about what gate is for the what gate is for the for the people who don't know? But to me, it's purely magic that this liquid can go through the film could go through this liquid, clear up all these abnormalities, and come out clean. Uh, we had a a, a a negative for this film called Breaker Morant, this Australian film, and the uh, one of the reels was completely had all this white dirt all over it, and the scanner in LA. Reproduced it exactly the way it was, so we sent it to Bologna because they could, there's nowhere to get scanning in really in, in America except in New York at Cineric and maybe a couple of small places. But it never took off here. I never really understood it. I think it's environmental and chemical and all those things. But uh, when we got those scans back from Bologna just for this one reel, poof, <laughs> it was all gone. It was, yeah. it was it was magic, you know. And yeah, uh, so, I remember that film; it looked pretty. It was a fantastic restoration. It yeah. looked really good. Yeah. Well, if it wasn't for the wicket, though, I don't know what we would have done for that reel because I think that you could have automated all that that dirt removal. But automated processes do leave some sort of residue, some digital residue, let's say, uh, that the wicket. I'm sure the wicket leaves some 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 artifacting as well. But I think the trade off is pretty. It's usually worth it when you say. I think there is actually mixed mixed opinions. Uh, I think I think the wetgate is something that is going to be discussed uh, more intensely, if one can say that anything is being discussed intensely within film archivists. Um, but I think with digital tools improving more and more, with restoration software improving more and more, also in terms of uh, artificial intelligence and those kind of things, um, I think the wetgate will have to prove its point really well mm. in the next few years. Uh, but yeah, you you you're you're totally right. Um, it has been a proven system for years because, I mean, it's been used in uh, wet-get printers yeah. uh, back in the days as well. So this is pure technology, uh, pure optical technology that has been proven its point. And it works. It works for many cases uh, and it does so really well. And it can be used with without um, much work really, right? Because you basically flood the gate with liquid, have your film run through, and, and there is an exponential amount of less work to be done afterwards. 
Do you think there's a decrease in quality sometimes, sharpness and things like that, which is often debated? Yeah, could be. Could be. It, it could be. Um, we've done tests and we haven't really gotten uh, a final answer because uh, obviously you're missing a pressure plate uh, mm. in the in the wet gate. Um, so again, it comes down to the material. If the material is v- very warped, uh, also in case if you're using a very high magnification, for instance, uh, if you're using 16, 16 millimeters, um, those kind of uh, artifacts could be increased. So if you have a warped film uh, that has very thick splices that might even need you to, let's say, open up the gate a little, make some tricks so that the film runs through properly. Yes, you could you could encounter issues like this. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're doing a proper QC and if you're doing a proper live QC, uh, you detect those issues and uh, you run the film back with other settings. What about wet gate bubbles? Yeah, constant issue. Constant issue. <laughs> uh, Tell us about wet gate bubbles because they're uh, a classic. Yeah. <laughs> they are a classic. <laughs> a classic. <laughs> Yeah, also a combination of the speed you're running through, uh, what we've experienced, also a combination of the liquid that you use, um, the material, uh, the, I'm not sure about the English term, but the surface quality of the film, if it's um, polyester and acetate, they differ, for instance, in that. Um, and yeah, they, they can be super tricky because sometimes you only see them in high resolution. So when you don't have, let's say, a 4K live preview, um, they might only show up uh, in the, the diamond afterwards. Mm. Um, and then they look like uh, like this confetti, the for the thing you use for, you know, confetti, right? So it, yeah. they're very tiny and all over the place, so impossible to retouch. And that basically means you have to rescan that entire reel. But they can yeah. be they can be tr- quite tricky in that. So yeah. they're a nuisance for you. Yeah, but we we found proper ways of working around them. So um, usually they are a problem for us only after splices, uh, dry splices, so after tape splices, uh, because you have sort of a vacuum that's being, uh, that follows this, um, the tape splice, obviously, because it's a bit higher than the film itself. Uh, And then you might have the, I mean, this is all taking place on a really small amount. On a, on a small area, right? Yeah. And then you have the liquid sort of like circulating or being sucked into this vacuum space again. And then you might encounter like get bubbles, but they usually only occur on one image. That means they can be interpolated super quickly with the, usually with the one preceding after. Oh, that's good. But I know that other, other wet gate systems uh, tend to have more problems um, with it because the Aria scan uses a very, very small wet gate. It basically just emerges one or two frames in mm. liquid. Whereas other systems, uh, they have like a bathtub almost uh, where the entire gate is uh, submerged in, in the liquid. Yeah, I know that uh, on the Scanity, they delayed their wet gate over and over because I guess right. it's a tricky thing to pull off. Yeah. Uh, but in uh, some films, it's been you know incredibly helpful that you, the, we did a bunch of Indian films that were caught on a fire and they we used wet gate. We did test dry, dry, wet, uh, no, 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 uh, 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 the ch- change of the gates, different gates and things like that. And the wet gate, uh, sprocketless was the best result. But what that meant was more work for stability at the end in the digital realm. So, um, the trade off was worth it, but, uh, something had to give is my point. There's always something. 
Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to, really, do tests. Um, the materials can be so diverse and you can develop certain knowledge so that you can have solutions for most cases. Uh, but in my experience, uh, you hardly ever get around doing a basic test, at least, in beforehand. Unless, of course, everything is decided before you, you even get the material. Yeah. Um, but if you have that flexibility, if the offer and the client gives you that flexibility, um, testing is, has, is very often proven uh, to be a, a good thing. And then it's, also, a very, it's super important. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, very often it comes down to uh, where the work needs to be done, right? Because if you're scanning WetKit, usually the scan will be slower. It will be, the film will spend more time in the digitization phase. Yeah. But as a rule of thumb, less time in the whole digital uh, chain afterwards. Whereas, yeah, scanning scanning dry kit can be much faster. Uh, but then if you have dust particles, uh, very thin scratches, all of this, they need to be uh, reduced digitally. What about uh, infrared uh, for dirt? Do you, does, does, does the area do that? Yeah, same, same story. Uh, it has been around for decades, I think. I mean, Kodak came up with this one like in the 90s or the so. digital ice. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it's proven to work. It simply is, is is a useful tool for detecting not just dust, but also it can help you decrease the visibility of splices because it basically detects uh, anything that is on top or of the of the film or uh, has a different refraction index than the, mm. the photochemical material itself, um, and even. Very often, if if it's not if the client doesn't order uh, an infrared scan or if it isn't agreed on an infrared scan, we just still continue with the infrared uh, just for QC purposes. I see. Because oh, it's going to alert you of things. Been very uh, helpful. Yeah. The trick is that Ryan, you have to have uh, an original negative that has the images that has the the imperfections in it. It won't work on printed and things. So if you have a copy, you won't get the result of that because it wouldn't it wouldn't see it as a problem with the film. Yeah, and, and interestingly, even for some prints and some reversals, I mean, we're only talking about color, um, oh, you can use right. it as well. Uh, then you might get to use at least the infrared channel for some scenes. Uh, it does depend on the um, sensitivity of the film material uh, and on the densities of the final print. Uh, for very dense materials, you usually can't use it. But if a scene isn't as dark, uh, not as dense, uh, then you might up actually with a usable infrared channel. But so we just, because it doesn't really decrease the scanning speed, uh, we just oh. have it run even for prints and reversals. Yeah, another thing that could add additional cost. Yeah, but yeah. it's, um, exactly, yeah, if it's, uh, if it's helpful, then it usually decreases the amount of work later on. What's the craziest piece of film that you've ever seen that you had to work with? <laughs> Uh, so we do a large-scale digitization work for the German Federal Archive um, that they've given to us because they said that if Ari can't do it, then it's probably uh, basically have to throw it in a bin. Uh, and there's some some cases in there, you know, some those are all news films, uh, very often dating back to even previous World War II stuff. Um, and they're beautiful. You often have virages, tinted and toned films, uh, but they are, I mean, they're gone. They're um, everything. They basically very often didn't have perforation for meters and meters. So you just had image and maybe not even image, but just half an image or half but a No sides. Film. 
Yeah, no, yeah. nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. How do you? What do you do for that? Do you? Can you put that through the Sprocketless reader and and get it through? Yeah. Oh. That was that was usually usually always a dry scan um, because uh, it would have been way warped and then you would really need the pressure plate to really fix it on the gate um, and you would have uh, some sort of edges everywhere so it would get stuck in a wet gate so yeah that would be sprocketless dry very very slowly basically scanning standing in front of the machine uh, <laughs> looking at the film how it is running or not even running I mean it's it's, it's like not so even slow, right? crawling. yeah, yeah. crawling yeah. Yeah, it's crawling through the scanner, yeah. <laughs> well, but that must be satisfying, though, when it's done, you're like, wow, okay, I got it through with... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's 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 why you do the work, and it's for, for those kind of projects. Um, and I also, also like that they are... There is no way of uh, realizing an image, a digital image, out of these films that look anywhere close to what maybe the digital generation... Could, defines as an image yeah. um but i i see a beauty in there i really see uh, that my i don't know you have yeah seconds of seconds just maybe uh parts of a body or parts of an image um mm -hmm. seeing that on the screen to me it has a certain uh beauty in its historicity so to say it yeah. doesn't doesn't hide that it's not old you know because it's impossible to hide that's that's what I like about this. Country. I mean, also you're just going through this major history book, and totally. seeing things that maybe no one else has ever seen before. And yeah. You're the first person that sees it because you scanned it. I mean, it's very rare that it's uh, this big revelation or so. Um, <laughs> that's that's more more. Well, that's what I wanted to be. History. I wanted to be like, oh yeah. my god, everybody, come over here. You got to see what this is. But it doesn't yeah, we do, <laughs> but we do tend to send each other just still frames or uh, pictures we took as like screen grabs and so, uh, and then they they are being discussed in the in the regular meetings we all are having you know after we have to talk about <laughs> who works when and all those boring and and difficult things. Uh, then we usually have a round of looking at images basically, and then <laughs> yeah. what kind of stuff do you have to share? Yeah, uh, well, cool. I mean, I I think you know scanning is the basis for all the next steps for a lot of us, whether it's picture stuff or sound stuff or anything, we, we start with this film that's kept in an archive, it goes to a scanner, and then we end up with images that then get digitally manipulated. And the idea behind it all is that hopefully we just have to do this once with a really good scan and that becomes something we can archive and keep forever. That's really the goal because I don't really think scanning technology is going to change all that much unless you disagree. I think they've really, in the last years or so, scanning has reached a point where it's probably actually good enough uh, to produce images that can be stored for, yeah, I don't know, 100 years, maybe more, uh, in terms of the image quality. What might be worth looking into is obviously uh, open source, open source codecs, open source uh, film formats. That could be um, maybe changing the whole DPX um, focus, but... I think in terms of resolution, bit depth, we have reached a point where we can say, okay, this is definitely uh, enough to keep on this old artifact into this old object into into uh, the future. Well, well, we'll keep watching it and seeing if it changes. I know you did a presentation at the, the real thing that was quite yeah. controversial uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you got the crowd crowd moving, which was good. It's very rare in that. Once they get vocal in that group, you know it's very difficult to... 
Yeah, and that's among a group of film archivists, right? Who aren't <laughs> yeah. to be the most, uh, I don't know, heated people, so to speak. But, um, no, obviously there is, um, I think in terms of the digital side of things, there is going to be big improvements. And I was touching that already with the wet gate. There is so much technology um, that we don't think of yet. There is so much also that digital can reproduce, uh, can produce uh, that we don't really relate to analog film in the first place. Because, you know, the whole, obviously the whole this history of digital film has been molded after analog predecessors. So I think we're coming towards a point where we have to think about digital technology as liberated from its history. Um, and if we relate that to film scanning, this offers unlimited possibilities. Um, just after, just thinking of the processing chain, once the image is being recorded, and here I, I say we've reached a certain standard that's um, sufficient the, in the recording, but everything that comes after the image processing chain, the defect detect uh, de detection, um, then the automatic retouching, uh, all this, I think there's, we aren't even capable of thinking where things could go from there. Yeah, when you mentioned uh, uh, some of the, the things that could come later, uh, AI technology is, I mean, we've been talking about that with stuff that was shot on uh, early digital video. And there's a lot of companies working with that to increase the resolution on something. And it's fascinating what is starting to happen with that. And maybe you're right, maybe with film scanning and dirt removal and things like that, if that part's next. Um, who knows? Also, you know, just combining these two aspects of uh, film archiving that I was sort of touching upon earlier, the technical aspects and the historical aspects, things like facial recognition. Um, if you incorporate this into a digitization chain, uh, you could immediately, I don't know, tag people that are in your film and then feed that into the um, archives database. You know, those are all methods of thinking that I think are, aren't really... Um, they aren't really playing in that game right now. And um, here we really have to make that bridge from what is being done technically and what the archives require. And that you could be. probably find all these actors or people who you didn't know were in things that, I mean, you could find your grandmother, you know, it's... it's yeah. could or be like really... Nicholas Ray, AI technology yeah. would have detected him right away. <laughs> I mean, so many, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Well, I will... Uh, We'll have to have another chat about that in five years and see where we're at. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for talking to us. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks so for, for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a pleasure.